don't look now, but the Astros look like the Astros. Oh, wait, did I mention Michael Brantley looks good in his rehab start? MLB, you are so screwed. We're going to talk about it next on Stone Cold Strohs, starting right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange. Charlie Palillo was the man in the middle. Follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on sportsmap.com. Next to him is sportsmap.com editor and ESPN Houston host Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at Josh Jordan 975. Charlie, Josh, welcome in. Well, you know, Joe Davis, the voice on that World Series ending call there, his day job is the television voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So maybe your opening words flustered him in that whole stinger to start the show today. Perhaps. Uh, River guys, their audio version of this podcast is available at Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Remember, when you're not watching sports map content, make sure you're listening to our sister platform, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM in Houston. Guys, let's get right into it. The theme from this early part of the 2023 season is two outruns, or at least that's what I'm taking away from it. It's not a thing I can prove, but just know to be true that a not small portion of the Astros runs so far seem to be scored with two outs, and if you told me they led the league in that stat, I'd assume you were correct as well. Again, I don't have those numbers. And the man that really seems to be uh, just coming through in clutch performance after clutch performance is Jordan Alvarez. Uh, most recently, not you know, not just scoring runs late in innings, but also late in games. And right now, there's not a more dangerous hitter on the planet than Jordan, in my estimation. Uh, I understand that uh, there's a substantial market difference uh, between here and New York, and there was an element of free agency mixed into it. But Aaron Judge's extension was this huge thing, both in hype and in price tag. Jordan's extension went so far under the radar that the talking baseball guys, when they were talking in the postseason last year, they hadn't even realized that an extension had been reached with Jordan. So I want to ask you about that before we get started. That's true. What's that? That's true. Yeah, I'm no, doing that, a, a quote unquote major baseball show had no idea that one of the great offensive forces in the game had signed a six year extension in the middle of the season. I am not making it up. No, that, that was, that's absolutely true. Yet again, like I understand that, especially those people, those guys in particular, their focus is on New York most times. But yeah, they, they had not realized during the postseason coverage uh, earlier in the postseason, at the least, that he had not signed a, an extension with the Astros. Uh, imagine their surprise and disappointment when they found out what that deal was. Let's talk about that day before we get into our other stuff. Could Jordan Alvarez, like if he stays on this trajectory, could Jordan Alvarez be the most team-friendly contract in Houston sports history, if not MLB history? Ooh, uh, we probably need to do a little digging on that, but let's say it gets a, a seat at the head table. Uh, if Jordan's career trajectory is, is what it is, given good health, this guy doesn't turn 26 years old until the end of June. Uh, postseason is a separate category and one that overwhelmingly favors Jordan. Aaron Judge was a better player the last couple of years than Jordan Alvarez, dot, 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 until the playoffs arrived. Right. But Aaron Judge is 31 years old. So Judge's extension with the Yankees, and of course, it's a fundamental difference. Judge was on the market. The San Francisco Giants and San Diego Padres actually offered him more money 
than the Yankees ultimately sign him for. No one had a chance to get a bite at the apple with Jordan Alvarez. But Judge, who turns 31 years old this week, nine years, $360 million. That's not calculus. $40 million per year. His age is 31 through 39 seasons. So Jordan, six years, will round up to $115 million. That's under $20 million per year, covering Jordan seasons 26 through 31. Uh, the age season, they go with July 1st, roughly the midpoint of the schedule. So Jordan's more than five years younger than Aaron Judge. Judge has been awesome in the regular season. No one, no one would rather have Aaron Judge over the next six years than Jordan Alvarez over the next six years, unless Alvarez x-rays turned out to be Correa-like that scotched his contracts first with the Giants and then the Mets. So that Judge is making $40 million per for the next six years, while Jordan is not making $20 mil for the next six years. Yes, there's the free agent versus still under team control, but that is just a whopping, whopping difference when any logical future bet for who is better over the next six years the guy will be 31 at the end of those six years or the guy will be 36 plus at the end of those six years. Game yeah. I match. mean, go ahead. No, game set match. Of course it's Jordan. Over <laughs> yeah, we'll go with Jordan. Guarantee it'll work out that way. Maybe Aaron judge, a hulking player that generally is not projected to age well deeply into his thirties. Uh, but by 35, if he's still an absolute beast, good for him, but no one honest intellectually, much less emotionally, leave Yankee fans out of it, would rather have Aaron Judge over the next six years at $40 million per year than Jordan Alvarez at under $20 million per year. Yep, I'm with Charlie there. Uh, it certainly is nice to be on the other side of this. We remember the, the Carlos Lee deal back in the day with the Astros and being kind of stuck with that. So now when you're on that other side of it, you got a great player, you got him locked up at a reasonable number. I mean, how can you complain about that? I think What's been so impressive this year, I pulled this stat from the Chronicle. He's four for five at the plate with the bases loaded this season. And in those plate appearances, 12 RBI, including a grand slam, and then Sunday's two-run double. So not to mention he's the RBI leader in the American League. What a start for Jordan. And the thing about Jordan, who anytime it's been a clutch spot, he seems almost automatic. He's not hot. He hasn't really gone on a jag yet. Right, he starts the week batting 253. Right. He's just been unreal. Runners in scoring position, nine for 20. That's a nifty 450. Runners on base, the average is good. He must be bored when he comes up and there's no one on base to drive in. Of course, any swing with Jordan delivers the opportunity to drive in himself. But when no one is on base through the Atlanta series for the season, Jordan six for 36, just 167. So you add it all up, right, 253 average. Uh, anyone going to bet Jordan's only hitting 253 come season's end? His OPS, 100 points lower than it finished last year. Anyone think it's going to finish that way? So he's leading the uh, the Galaxy in runs batted in 27 and having only played in 20 of the Astros' first 22 games and getting to those 27 ribbies. And the man hasn't gotten hot yet. He's been white hot and then some in the so-called clutch or late and close spots. But overall, Jordan Alvarez has not gotten on one of those just terrorizing all pitchers, any circumstances, Jags, yet this season. And to the point you made in the uh, the opening remarks, uh, Brandon, um, 
uh, basically all teams score more runs with two outs than with zero or one. You have more opportunity to get base runners and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Uh, but the Astros have been really good in those spots. And late in games, they're lapping the field. Runs they've scored seventh inning and later, uh, they're double digits ahead of whoever's second right now. Yeah. There was, go ahead, Brandon. I was just say the broadcast team was throwing around a stat, uh, for, I think from baseball savant that was uh, saying how Jordan performs in high leverage situations. He's like, basically has like a two dot something uh, OPS in high leverage situations. So, and basically as they were saying that during the broadcast, Jordan was again coming through with some heroics. Josh, go ahead. I was just going to say there's room for him to get better to Charlie's point. He, he is tied for the league in strikeouts on this team with Jeremy Pena at 25. So Jordan gets that under control a little bit, man, the sky's the limit. And this speaks, uh, I guess both sides of the coin, the concept of protection behind you in the batting order. Jordan basically has had zero this season. Jose Abreu in the cleanup spot in all 22 of the Astros' 22 games uh, through the Atlanta series. Abreu basically has been a stiff. Uh, He's hardly drawn any walks. He's still a 98-pound weekly, three doubles. That's it in the extra base column. So that's one home run in his last 77 games. One in 55 to end it with the White Sox last year. Zero for 22 to start it with the Astros. So uh, great hitters are going to do their damage. There are particular spots where you'll get bypassed, right? Why would you ever pitch to Jordan if you can work around him to a Abreu? Uh, but with Alex Bregman, the batting average still not where he wants it by any means. But with the walks that he draws, uh, if you get traffic on the bases, you're going to pitch around Jordan Alvarez if there's already a couple of runners on. Um, so, you know, if Abreu can become at all competent, or maybe it's time to bench him for a day or two. Why has he been in the lineup in the cleanup spot every day so far this season? Um, protecting, splitting the lefties, overrated. You know, Jordan and Kyle Tucker should be batting 3-4 in this lineup. Abreu needs to be pushed down. Yeah, ask Minter what he thinks about uh, Jordan hitting against lefties. I, I, I'm not sure um, uh, if, uh, well, look, before I do that, I just want to say, the Astro social media team continues their excellence too, because after Jordan turned the game upside down against Mentor, they tweeted, do you ever think about August 1st, 2016, which of course was the day that the Astros uh, traded for Jordan Alvarez for basically uh, nothing. Um, now, speaking of that, well, and I also want to touch on Abreu as well. I, Abreu for those keeping and for those looking for the silver linings, his um, the people who are um, familiar with his game continue to tweet. This is just uh, how he starts off the season and that he uh, is actually doing better batting average wise than he was this time last season. I will say, I don't know that that means while the batting average may come back up, I don't necessarily project that the power numbers are going to follow. Um, But I want to change topics for a little bit. Not sure if you caught Dana Brown on the TV broadcast over the weekend, but they asked him about uh, the value that Houston has found in Latin pitchers. Uh, This kind of ties into the Jordan thing just a little bit, just, you know, them finding value. Uh, They were that they were talking about how uh, Astros have found this great success in finding some undervalued older Latin uh, prospects. And Brown said, yeah, I was watching the postseason last year and that stat came up. So I took a screenshot and sent it to my coworkers with the Braves and asked, how do they do that? Aren't we all looking for the same talent? So that combined with Jordan, the Astros just has 
Astros have found a way to be able to produce superstars as well as uh, supportive players, as Shaq calls them, the others. Uh, so let's talk about the Houston's others. Um, what's wild about their ability to plug and play is they continue this, you know, to you know, have this massive attrition of big stars and big names. And they continue to, even in the case of injuries this season, they've been seemingly been able to tread water, if not make hay with these other guys who you wouldn't expect. In addition to Mauricio Dubon, who, you know, it's well-documented. It's just playing out of his mind during this hitting streak. Corey Jolks was a surprise to make the team. Uh, and then, then a surprise to become one of the most productive hitters in the lineup with his average at, the, at this point, well above 300, his OPS above 800. And don't sleep on Jake Myers, who's hitting 375 over his last seven games. But like I said in the open, Brantley's ever close to returning. Um, in, and we also know Altuve ahead of schedule has reported over the weekend. So when these guys come back, who are going to be the odd man out? I guess we'll start with who's the odd man out when uh, Michael Brantley comes back. Obviously, there's a lack of depth with uh, McCormick on the injury list as well. But uh, let's start with Brantley. Who's who's going to be the odd man out on this roster? Well, you'd think whichever outfielder gets back first between Brantley and McCormick, Bannon goes down. He's not really thought of as a major leaguer, kind of not worried about getting playing time. So he's a, a spare part on, on the bench who they called up when McCormick went to the 10-day IL. So that was infielder up when outfielder down. So I would think, since Bannon has no role really on the team, that covers the first one. But then the plot thickens because you have a glut of outfielders none of whom are falling on their faces that you say, well, that's the guy you send down. As recently as a week ago, I think the motion would have carried pretty easily. All those who think Jake Myers should be headed for Sugar Land say, aye. Well, Jake Myers has tweaked his startup into his swing. He's on a six-game hitting streak. His overall numbers now are, are very credible. But you can't have everyone on your bench be a backup catcher or an outfielder. right? David Hensley has been for hunger at the plate so far. So if you were going to look purely at the numbers and say, all right, who has to go down? It would be Hensley. But I got to, he's gotten a couple starts the days that Abreu is designated hitter. Hitted? Been the designated hitter. Uh, Hensley gets that start at first base. Obviously, he can play the other infield positions in a pinch or need be in a, in a given game, uh, as well as they can stick him in left field. Uh, unless I've missed something, right? Corey Jolks is, is not an infield option. Uh, Myers, obviously not McCormick, obviously not left-handed throwers for starters. Um, so, you know, how do they choose to balance their roster? It's not as if the Astros have always carried three catchers in the past. So maybe Salazar is the other guy who goes down, but geez, uh, with Jolks coming through, including in a couple of clutch spots, uh, I'd say two out game winning hit in the ninth inning and the finale in Atlanta is fairly clutch. And with Myers reawakening, do you want to kick him in the head? On the other hand, there can't be playing time for all these outfielders, even if you keep them, right? If you have Tucker, McCormick, Myers, Jordan, Brantley, Jolks, right? you have three outfielders and a DH, that's still two guys are going to be sitting every day. So I guess this would be in the good problem to have category, except for the guy who ultimately gets sent down. Yeah, it, for me, it's got to be either Hensley or, or Salazar. It, 
you know, the guy I don't want to go down is Jolks because even when Brantley comes back, I think they're going to be careful with him. Maybe it'll be a platoon situation for a while as Brantley's getting used to playing every day again. I could see something like that happening. So that's that's what I would want to do. I want to leave Jolks up here, give him some at bats. He's been fantastic. And, you know, I thought about it today. I've seen some comments in there about, you know, some of the batting lineup stuff like that. I'm curious to see how the lineup's going to be when Brantley returns, if they're going to just put him in that two hole and, and then move everybody down, or if they're going to decide that, you know, a lefty after a lefty isn't the end of the world. So that'll be something to monitor. But yeah, good problems to have, man. The, the young guys are playing great. Don't mess with it. Don't tinker with it. We'll see what happens with Chaz, how soon he gets back. That'll be a big part of it. Yeah, I don't think there's a need for three catchers if you want to have the extra uh, outfielders stay on, on the merits. Then again, other than Maldonado, there's really no one in this lineup that you're saying, oh, he's crying out to be pinch hit for. Mm-hmm. Um, other than some platoon situations, when you have Brantley here, you know, if you're in a seventh inning with a tough righty on the mound, well, then uh, maybe you hit for Myers or you hit for McCormick if Brantley's not starting that game. Um, but, you know, Yanner Diaz has 22 at-bats through the Astros' first 22 games. The Astros start the week still undefeated in games that Maldonado does not start. Um, you know, their obsession with playing him four out of every five games is silly. You don't count on him for offense, but actually it's been worse than it's ever been so far. His mobility behind the plate is down. Uh, I've already reached my quota of seeing him throw from his knees, trying to catch base dealers and not even come close. The machete's arm isn't that good, and you can't get the velocity on the throw from your knees that you can't from popping up out of your crouch. And, oh, by the way, you're trying to throw out runners when the distance between first base and second base is shorter now. Uh, so Diaz should be getting more run behind the plate because Maldonado shouldn't be catching over 100 games, period, at this point in his career. And if you're going to give Yiner a chance to sink or swim a little bit, you got to put him in the water. Uh, not just give him a, a bat or a start every five games or every four games. And then, oh, by the way, once in a while, go pinch hit against the closer in the ninth inning and see what you can do there. Um, of course, that has nothing to do with the the outfielders. So sorry for straying from the topic. No, and I, we're, we should talk about that too. I, I want to touch on the Diaz-Maldi conversation, but before I, I want, just want to weigh in on the odd man out, I do think it's Salazar, but not because he's done anything bad, performative, but he's just because it's a numbers game. Uh, does... Am I the only one who's getting some Commander Cody vibes from David Hensley? We we had a lot of uh, uh, opining for seeing David Hensley more in the lineup. And for those who don't get the reference, uh, Cody Carlson is the uh, backup quarterback from uh, way back in the day. Uh, Oilers, and uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, lamenting about why doesn't uh, Cody Carlson get more playing time. And then when you saw... Cody Carlson play that was he looked just like a backup quarterback which is a guy who should be a backup uh David Hensley is a guy who again jury's still out on David Hensley uh but not nearly as productive as you'd hoped early on again it's a long season we're not making any rulings but I, I did think that uh there is a backup quarterback syndrome that happens with some of the uh pitch hitters and uh, small sample sizes again really good at working a walk in certain situations uh, but I'll be the first to admit I fell into that group. I I do like what Jake what we're seeing out of Jake Myers and and Charlie to your point about you know the Maldi Diaz situation. This is his last. I understand. Okay, you know he, his contract vested, so he gets another year. This is why he's here. Uh, I understand he works well with the pitching staff. I'm seeing the same things you are. 
you have to figure out what the future of your catcher position is after this year. And it's going to be either Diaz uh, uh, or um, blanking on his name. Yeah. Uh, So the, I, I think you need to see Diaz. You need to know what you have there with him, not only because of that, but because he has higher upside with the bat. It's worth more to you to get his bat going than it is for whatever you're going to get out of Maldi. Uh, you've called him catcher Yoda, but I don't really know what they expect to see out of Maldi. You, you know what you have with him. He's there. I think Diaz needs to get more reps. You need to see what you have there. And it concerns me that they're not, that they're not giving him more exposure. Maybe the plan is to give him more reps later on. Don't really know. Josh, where do you fall into that? Well, we talked about this a little earlier that, you know, with the pitch com stuff, we've seen a lot of dominating performances, even against the Astros with, you know, starting pitchers calling their own pitches, calling their own games. So do you really need Maldi there just to do that? If his defense is now, I think Diaz is starting to look better behind the plate to me. I'm starting to see the age a little bit with Maldi. Perhaps he's just, you know, banged up a little bit. That happens and they don't talk about it, but I'm starting to see some more slippage from him. So do you really need him there just to, to call pitches? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not saying release him, but uh, if he's on pace to catch 115 games, that's just nonsense. I think it was 110 he caught last year, second behind only Sean Murphy, then of the A's, uh, now of the Braves. And, you know, the Astros have good pitchers. Uh, Hunter Brown's a rookie. Other than that, they're not babes in the woods. Uh, I don't see them melt down or become village idiots without a clue of what they're trying to do on the mound if Maldonado's not behind the plate. Um, hey, he's been a terrific receiver and obviously has, has been revered by a lot of guys, but for the betterment, not only of the Astros ascertaining what do they have for 2024 behind the plate could well be for the betterment of the 2023 team. Right. Um, and if Maldonado is to get to what you'd consider an acceptable overall, better level of play, he is turning 37 years old over the summer and you don't want to be wearing him down anyway. His workload, uh, should be lessening even if he was playing really well. Uh, But with his work behind the plate, having uh, suffered so far this year, he starts the week with the batting average of of 160. Uh, The OPS, even by Maldonado standards, is is really, really low. I mean, let's face it. They won the game Sunday by pinch hitting for Maldonado in the ninth inning with Corey Jolks, which let me throw in on Jolks. And again, such small sample size. I'll, I'll two for this. You know, almost every hitter will tell you, regular or guys who, or bench guys, pitch hitting is just really tough to do. You can do jumping jacks, go hit in the cage underneath, but to sit around basically for two and a half hours and then, hey, go up and get us a clutch hit. It's not like Jolks has an extensive resume, but we can think of one very recent really clutch spot where he came through. Um, you know, if you have a proclivity toward being able to put bat on ball, and, and you know that's the guy you want around for the late innings, especially if you're going to be pinch hitting for your catcher uh, anytime you're in a, in a late spot like that. Um, Hensley, uh, meanwhile, 17 strikeouts in, in 45 at bats. It's that dreaded small sample size thing, right? It's not like Corey Jolks is a made man yet. We're talking probably about the same number of plate appearances now for him that Hensley had last year. I just think it's fun for, for fans, and even if it's not a young phenom, right? Jolks is 27, Hensley's 27. But as Astros, right, if this is the team you live and die with and root so hard for, anything that's fresh and new, you know, perchance to dream, and maybe this can make our strong hand even stronger. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, gravitational pull, Maurice Dubon, Mauricio Dubon, uh, incredible run that he's on. 
you know, I doubt he's going to make it as a 320 hitter this year. Uh, it would be something, though, if a week and a half from now, uh, the second baseman with the longest hitting streak in Astros history, a franchise that's had Bill Doran and obviously Jose Altuve and that Hall of Fame dude, Craig Biggio, <laughs> the actual record holder, Jeff Kent, 25 in a row. If somehow Mauricio Dubon was to stretch this out another week and a half, I'd bet the under on that, but at least he's in the sentence now with the longest second base hitting streaks in Astros history. Yeah, it, it is odd. Um, and I guess we're, while we're talking about small sample sizes and catchers, Corey Lee, I don't know if we mentioned this, isn't really knocking the cover off the ball in AAA either. Um, so you, you do really need to know. Charlie, to your point, you, it does behoove you to know what you have in Diaz right now because it may be critical in the 2023 season. We saw Maldi had you know two nagging injuries that went into the postseason that he was able to play through. But if you know the whole talk when Click signed – uh, Vasquez was, you know, you needed that insurance policy where right now, you know, Diaz appears to be your insurance policy. You need to pay a you know premium on it to find out whether you can cash that thing in later on down the line. Um, again, just looking at what you could have had with Vasquez, I, I, I digress. Um, but I will say this books have been literal books have been written about the cult cutthroat culture of the Astros and Jim Crane and his demand for excellence. Uh, they should be writing books about the culture of developing guys and how you get more out of less because Mauricio Dubon's only another name on the list of guys who you're able to rely on uh, right now. You know, Jeremy Pena seems to be in the throes of, 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 you know, kind of a scuffle right now, but I mean, that guy was white hot during the playoffs and you didn't even miss, you didn't even miss a beat after losing Carlos Correa. So I, I wish that the uh, national media attention would uh, focus on that a little bit too, is how the Astros can bring up seemingly regular guys or work with them and turn them around and get maximum production out of that. Uh, and so another organization that is known for that as well are the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Astros burst of winning combined with some luck of the schedule makers. Houston finds themselves on a collision course against Tampa and uh, Tampa's losses are in the single digits at this point. Astros are doing their typical slow ramp up. Uh, but when it's all said and done, who's going to be the better of these two teams? I think the Astros have the better roster top to bottom. Uh, the Rays, maybe they're just going to have one of those seasons and they, they wind up winning 106, 107 games that we've seen the Astros uh, post in separate seasons over, over the last five years. The Rays are good. They are deep. Uh, I presume our Rays listenership, Rays fan listenership, viewership's not, not burgeoning. Uh, but let me rain on their parade a little bit anyway. They are really good. They manufacture pitching, it seems like, out of thin air, both starting pitchers uh, and bullpen guys. Uh, they set the major league record for most consecutive games from opening day forward, hitting at least one home run in, in all of them. And if you lead the major leagues in runs scored and fewest runs allowed, you're pretty good. But their schedule, uh, enough cupcakes for diabetes in, well, about 22 games worth of schedule. I jotted it down so I make sure I had them in order. By series, the Rays' opponents before they hooked up with the Astros. The Tigers, who are 7-13. and 13. The Nationals, who are 7-14. and 14. The A's, who are 4-18. and 18. The Red Sox, last place team in the American League East, uh, American League East 
Now, the American League East is fantastic, so last place at 12 and 11. Nevertheless, last place. Uh, the Blue Jays. They lost two out of three to the Blue Jays. The Reds, 7 and 15. The White Sox, 7 and 15. So they have fattened up on empty calories. Now, there's plenty to be said for that, right? The Astros struggled in a couple series against teams that you're thinking, hey, whip up on them. Uh, but the Rays have not gone through the crucible of three weeks straight of divisional games um, or just playing better caliber opponents series after series. Whereas the Astros, it's like the smelling salts where, oh, we're playing teams worthy of being on the field with us. Now we're going to start playing ball. Uh, so the Rays are very good. And, you know, they posted a 100 win season a couple of years ago. Uh, but I want to see more than one awesome month. Uh, it's kind of like the Rays with more pedigree than Corey Jolks. But Corey Jolks and Mauricio Dubon, one good month doesn't mean they're going to be all-stars. Uh, the Rays, I don't see as some sort of sort of unbeatable uh, juggernaut. And, you know, the Astros traditionally have not fared well in St. Petersburg. Well, last September they went in there and swept three. Um, so, you know, the, the Astros are king of the mountain until someone takes them down in October. Yeah, Astros do what they do. They, they play well against good teams. They play down to their competition a little bit. Doesn't worry me. You know, wake me up when the Rays are in the playoffs in these games for all, for all the marbles. You know, like, give me the Astros until somebody knocks them off. Well, and record means nothing. The Astros, Charlie, as you said, typically play down to their competition. And your point about the smelling sauce is no more clear than when they took the Rays to seven games uh, in, uh, I believe it was 2020, yep. during that weird season where they had barely finished over 500 at 500 uh, and then took the Rays to, they had no business uh, being that after going down three, nothing, taking them to seven games. But that's just what they do. Uh, and right now, Tampa is an on-pace guy's fantasy. If, if you haven't learned your lesson, though, here's a good reminder. June 13th of last year, the Yankees were on pace to win 119 games, and they only needed to win on an 89-win pace the rest of the season to win 100 games, and they still fell short of that. So I do take the race serious. They are always a threat to come out of nowhere and contend, but let's see what they look like once they face some adversity. It's easy to front run it's far more difficult to sustain excellence. The Astros are uh, that, that they are the epitome of sustained excellence. Um, so let's see, where do we want to go after this? Well, I do want to talk about, we mentioned it a little bit uh, briefly though. Al Altuve, uh, Dana Brown mentioned that he was ahead of schedule and returning um, Dana Brown also mentioned that he's confident that he can re-sign both of those guys, um, even though talks haven't begun. Uh, I'm not going to hold my breath, uh, considering the uh, the rope dope from the uh, the preseason about Fromber and Tucker. But I thought it would be as a good way to uh, tie into our bottom line question of the week. So if you're watching us live and haven't commented yet, yet now is your chance. It's the bottom line question of the week. I'll pose it to Charlie and Josh. But everyone gets to answer, and there is a delay on the feed. And so when uh, we get your answers, it may be a little bit after. So go ahead and start tweeting now. I'll give you the question, and I'll let uh, you guys respond after uh, Charlie. I'll read your guys' responses after Charlie and Josh give me their feedback. So Charlie, Josh, Dana Brown says he feels confident about re-signing and extending Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. Which deal gets done first? Whew. Well, I guess all Dana Brown can say is that, right? I wouldn't 
make any sense for him to say, yeah, we're probably not too worried about signing this guy. Or if it's one or the other, we want, we want that guy or the die is cast. We're so far apart when you're still two years uh, from free agency. Uh, I will go Altuve. A couple of reasons. One, Altuve is, he's the tent pole of, of this era, right? He goes back to the dark, dark days. Um, I think, uh, Jim Crane doesn't strike me as overly sentimental, but if you're going to have one of those two guys never play in another big league uniform, uh, that Altuve is 34 years old when he hits free agency. So no way is he looking, what is he going to get a seven or nine, 11 year deal? Whereas Bregman at 30 looking at last off season is his, t- his templates probably thinking, well, they're paying guys till 40, 41 at mega dollars. So where's mine? Uh, but Alex Bregman, who's maybe kicking it into gear now, but if he doesn't lift from where he's been fairly significantly, this is four years in a row that Alex Bregman's been a good player, not a great player, right? 2019 was the last time Alex Bregman was a great player. Jose Altuve was great last year. And then you have components like, okay, if the Astros aren't just cranking out pennant winner after pennant winner four or five years from now, but you have Jose Altuve chasing down 3,000 hits and still is the most beloved player in franchise history, uh, or maybe by that point will be. So I could see maybe a three- or four-year extension getting done for Altuve, whereas I would think Bregman's looking for seven, eight, ten because so many teams have been handing those out like candy. Yep, I'm with Charlie for the reasons he just laid out right there. I think Altuve... Damn it, a good old-fashioned fight on something. I know, right? I can't help it on this one because can't be great minds think alike. I mean, yeah, we're ruling that out. I'll take that as a compliment. But yeah, for what you just said, Altuve, it feels like he's going to be here, and Bregman can probably go get another mega deal. So that that just seems like what might happen, unless Breggy's willing to take another discount. I'm not so sure. So yeah, give me Altuve. I'll go with Altuve as well, just to make it unanimous across the board, unanimously boring, but also unanimous in our response, because for a lot of the same reasons, Jose Altuve has said he wants to be an Astros lifer, and and more than most, I, I believe him. I don't believe this is posturing. I believe he truly wants to be an Astros lifer. The Astros gave him uh, the opportunity when other teams would not, and they've made him a superstar. They've they've platformed him to a level uh, which he could have never imagined. And he's repaid them by helping them get two championships here. He's, you know, before we started talking about the, the clutch gene in Jordan, Altuve was the OG clutch guy on this team. And that's not, there's a long storied history in Houston with their baseball. Uh, We've suffered through a lot of it here. And uh, a lot of that did not include clutch. And so Altuve brought something very, very different to the table. And this generation of Astros players and this organization brings something very different to the table, which is uh, being able to perform those big moments. It's not just about having numbers and being nice to the fans and uh, Bible study and, you know, you know, saying your prayers and eating your vitamins like Hulk Hogan. It's, you know, this this team is they, they put up and shut up. And so it's, it's really awesome to see and that sustained excellence. That's just really what I'll always remember this generation of Astros by Hey guys, I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a quick second here and say, if you don't appreciate what's going on right now in Houston, then shame on you because 
an Astros run like that, an MLB team run like this is so rare. And this sort of sustained excellence and being able to dominate for this long at this level is just unheard of. And so shame on you if you're not taking advantage of it now. Uh, buy all the merch, support your team, because when it's bad, it's bad. And if you need any further evidence, just look at the other two pro sports teams in this town. Okay, let's get on to reading your responses here to our bottom line question of the week. I'm going to start with Michael H. He says Altuve because he wants to remain an Astros for life. That's what I said. Good, good stuff. Uh, Arlie says Altuve. Jay Roberts says Altuve. Eric Canlan says Altuve. James says Altuve. David Altuve. Uh, Larceny Altuve. Uh, Red Pill Pastor says neither because inflationary bear market, a different beast for contracts. Uh, perhaps, but I think I think Altuve is going to be able to find a boy, but we will see. Yeah, the uh, the Bregman contract could certainly fall victim to inflation as well. Um, uh, Gregory Guru says Altuve. Astro Wharf Craig says Altuve. Chris says Altuve. Leo? Anyone not say Altuve other than the guy who said neither. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to read them because I appreciate the interaction, but uh, it does look like anonymous uh, Altuve or excuse me, uh, unanimous Altuve responses. Altuve wants to give the money to pay for Tucker. <laughs> so yeah, let's do that. Well, guys, I appreciate it. That's going to be another one in the books for Stone Cold Strohs. I want to thank my host, Charlie Palolo and Josh Jordan. And I want to thank everybody who was interacting with the show live. We appreciate everybody joining us this week. We'll be back here next week, 3 p.m. for Stone Cold Strohs. Until then, go Astros.